Okay, let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. We got started last Sunday morning on Matthew 24. And we will continue now with Christ's view from the Mount of Olives. Christ, that's what the title of the message is. This is part two. Maybe if you notice in the announcement sheet, Christ's view. Christ means Messiah. Uh, Messiah means the anointed one. These terms referring to the one that God appointed. The one. The one. Not the one among many, but the one that God appointed or anointed to save us from our sins. So this is his view from the Mount of Olives. And we'll explain that as we uh, get in, back into the message. And then also, if you would take your Bible and in some way mark Daniel chapter 9. And you'll see why here in just a moment. Um, we're going to go back in the Old Testament. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew, or Daniel. It's not too far from Matthew, but if you'll mark your Bible there in Daniel, in chapter number 9. In fact, Jesus really tells us to. Uh, to go to Daniel when we read this particular portion of Scripture. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start reading, maybe even while you're finding Daniel 9. And it says in verse number 1 of Matthew 24, that Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, as you see in verse 3. It's the mount overlooking Jerusalem, overlooking the old city as it is known now. The disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us. Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Well, they didn't just ask one question. They packed in three questions. It's a lot on their minds, as you might imagine. And so then I'm not going to read all the verses, but we covered verses 4 through 14 last week, and Jesus is describing some of the events that would take place in human history, following that even into the first half of the tribulation period. And so that brings us to verse 15, when in verse 15, it, he continues his discussion with them, and he says, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Okay, let, let, me, let me do something right here that I think will help you. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, stand in the holy place. I'm not doing an injustice to the word. He's just, he does a parenthesis there, spoken of by Daniel the prophet. When that abomination, whatever it is, the abomination that causes the desolation, the temple to be desolate, when you see that stand in the holy place, when, it, when it's set up in the holy place, talking about the what? The temple, okay? When it's in the temple, he says. Now, here's another um, big time parenthesis when he says this. Whoso readeth, are you reading this right now? Let him understand. So that means we got to go back to Daniel, chapter nine, and understand, all right? So then he gives instruction what to do. Okay, I'm going to run back through verse 15, then I'm just going to keep running. But I'm going to, I'm going to intentionally skip over the parenthetical statements and let it flow. Okay, are you ready? All right, one, two, three people I think are. That's great. All right, here we go. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days, those that are nursing, verse 30, uh, 20. But pray ye that your flight, uh, your flight for safety, that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall there be... Sorry, verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation. 
then shall be great tribulation. Whatever happened in verse 15 with the abomination of desolation is the catalyst to what is referred to as the great tribulation. So you have the tribulation is a seven year period, but three and a half years into that, you have the great tribulation. Such as, watch this, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now we haven't seen that yet nor ever shall be, he says. Verse 22, and except, here's how bad it is, except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, okay, he's given some additional instructions here. Then shall any, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for, verse 24, there shall arise, what? False Christ, false messiahs. There will be false messiahs. There will be false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. You can read a lot about that in the book of Revelation. Signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Verse 26, we're going to keep reading. Wherefore, if, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is here in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is here in the secret chambers. Believe it not. In other words, he's saying, um, when they say the Messiah is over here, the Messiah is in here. He says, don't believe it. He's talking, now he's, he's talking specifically about the end of the great tribulation period when the son of man comes again. Uh, there will be no mistaking when he shows up. You won't have to go out to the desert. You won't have to find a secret room. Look at the next verse. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, that's global, right? From the east unto the west is lightning. Uh, you ever having trouble finding lightning or seeing lightning? No, it kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? Well, think about what happens when Jesus Christ comes again in power and great glory to this earth. Power and great glory. It's like a flash of lightning from the east to the west. Now, our lightning is regional, but this will be just global where his coming is, is, is known to the whole world. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wheresoever the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered uh, together. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn for they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one one into heaven to the other. Wow. All right. We won't have time to cover all that. I just wanted to read it. <laughs> we'll come back and cover a lot of that. We got a lot to cover just in verse 15 alone. All right. So Christ's view from the Mount of Olives, part two, where to turn when trouble comes. Where to turn when trouble comes. We're going to do our due diligence to, do, to make our way at least to verse 28. And it won't be as thorough maybe as, as what you might even desire, but we'll, we'll try to hit the high points of it. And I, I'm mindful of something right here, and I realize you're still standing. I haven't forgot. There's a wide range of understanding in here this morning, a wide range. There, there, there are those who have taught this. I, I think about a Dr. House that's here. He's taught eschatology in the past and could stand here and teach without notes, no doubt. Okay, and others that could do the same. We've got that spectrum, but then we have some that are not even saved yet. And, and this will sound like, oh my word, what in the world are you even saying? And then you'll, all of us will be somewhere in the middle of all that. And so it's... Um, it's not an easy passage, but God didn't call us to preach just what's easy or understand just what's easy. And so I've already prayed that God would help, <laughs> as you might imagine. 
right? Do every Sunday, but there's some Sundays when you just really pray. This is one. Let's pray. Father, help us now. We want to understand. You gave it to us to understand. And it's not really as complicated as maybe it first looks like. The bottom line is you're coming again and the world's not ready. Maybe somebody here that's not ready. I pray you'd help them. I need your help to explain. Uh, help me be careful. Because um, it's your word. Help us to understand. Help us to um, see that, Lord, you even gave this to those disciples then, and, and they wouldn't see these things come to pass in their time frame, but it was applicable. It was relevant to them then. So if it was relevant to them then, then certainly it's relevant to us now. So we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for an extended period of time. <clears throat> Basically, this section of Scripture in the Olivet Discourse is explaining uh, to the disciples that certainly trouble will come on the earth like has never been. And, and, and by the way, which never will be, this will be the end of time. Um, things will not continue as they are. And, and uh, that's one of the things that people scoff about is that, you know, things continue as they always have uh, continued, but, but truly they will not always. There is the end of time coming and things are so bad in the earth and will get worse that man will not be able to correct the problem himself. Government, human government will not correct the issue. A politician will certainly not correct. No, no offense to politicians. I'm grateful for, uh, for most, for them. Um, uh, politicians will not correct the situation. You and I will not usher in the kingdom. Uh, we, we will not bring the kingdom in. That would be post-millennialism. We're, we're not bringing in the kingdom. We're, we're not going to usher that in. Listen, things are so bad. The only one that can straighten this out is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And so he will come in power and great glory. This chapter does not cover the details that we know from Paul's writings and, and other sections about the rapture. And, and there are things here that we can learn and, and things that we could glean from, no doubt. And great events often cast their shadows ahead of them. So we talked a little bit about that before. But there can be a lot of confusion here about this particular passage and when it's tried to be applied to the rapture. As we see here, this is when he comes and every eye shall see him in his power and great glory. In the rapture, the earth does not see him come. He comes again in the clouds. And believers, those that are in Christ, even those that have died previously, Paul says, those, the dead in Christ shall rise. Listen, just like Jesus rose again from the dead, so those that have saved, been saved and died. Well, when you die, your body, I'm sorry, your body, yes, your body goes to the grave, but your spirit soul goes either to heaven to be with God or immediately, there's no interval time. There's not a soul sleep. It's not, there's no purgatory where your sins are purged away. No, you trust him now and you're forgiven of your sin so that to be absent from this body is to be immediately with the Lord upon death, upon dying. But God is so thorough in his work of redemption that he shall not only uh, save our soul, but he will even resurrect our bodies that we might be like his resurrected body and so that day is coming, but no, I will see that. People will disappear from the earth and the world may ridicule that if they want to. You could ridicule that if you want to, but that's kind of like trying to ridicule gravity. You can try to make fun of gravity if you want to, but gravity will work whether you want it to or not. And so uh, the Lord will come in the rapture and, and he will come again at his second coming at the revelation and the whole world will see him then at the battle of Armageddon in Revelation chapter 19. I mean, there's so many verses. There's so many uh, passages of scripture. I, I read several of them. In fact, I was reading in my Bible this morning out of Isaiah chapter 13 through 17. Hadn't finished it all, but I'm looking forward to the rest of it. But it has a lot to do with this, that the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is the term in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament that covers this whole period of time from the rapture to his second coming again and even to the great white throne and the judgment seat of Christ and the eternal state. The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is coming. You need to be ready. Now's the time. Behold, day, today's the day of salvation. Don't put it off. 
So many verses though converge here and, and so many passages of scripture, they work together. And we're talking about 40 men that, that God used to write the scriptures and yet they all agree. I mean, if we, you and I sat down in here, if we took two people and to write things, I don't think we would write things that would agree together, but that shows you the inspiration of the word of God, that this is indeed God's word using man to write it down. And so this is not what might happen. Friend, listen, this is what is going to happen. And so why you need to trust Jesus as your savior. But I'm reminded even right now before all these things come to pass, even just how vulnerable we are as we face disease, a global pandemic, and as we've had floods and wildfires and tornadoes and ice storms and terrorist attack, it does not take much to turn our lives upside down. Well, just imagine, dear friend, imagine what that's gonna be like when it's global. I mean, you and I have watched the news or you've checked the weather app. To, I mean, you can't help. You may be just checking to see, do I need to carry an umbrella tomorrow or do I, do I, how hot's it going to be now tomorrow? You may be just checking that, but you'll see the flooding up in the Northeast. And that's so far removed from us that you, it, we don't even feel touched by it. But if you lived there, you'd be touched by it. Yeah, we've lived through some of those things here and some of you've been without power for days or weeks and, and, uh, and, and a long time. And we've experienced our measure of that when, when eight families in this very church had their home uh, destroyed by the tornado of 2013. I mean, listen, we live in a world that has fallen and, and some of these, uh, what we refer to often as natural disasters, it's just evidence that we live in a fallen world and, and, and some of those disasters have have completely uh, shut down our lives. Well, just imagine when the whole world, the whole world and, and its role and its, and its lives are just totally disrupted and, and men and women are even crying out that they might die and they're trying to hide and they're trying to run. Hey, listen, friend, you don't want to mess with that. You don't want to take it lightly is what I mean by that statement. You don't want to take it lightly. As I prayed a moment ago that if Jesus said these words to his disciples, then knowing he knew that they would not face all of this and, and yet it was relevant to them then, then don't you, doesn't it stand to reason that we read these now and they're relevant to us as well? Relevant means that you see yourself in this passage. Relevant means that the word of God applies unto you. So there's something here for us to learn. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said this, that the purpose of prophecy is not to entertain the curious. The purpose of prophecy. Now, how many of you like prophecy? Let me just ask, how many of you like prophecy? All right, so there's a lot of hands out there. Good. Well, I mean, I, I imagine that if I ask that, that you'd almost feel obligated because it's part of God's word. But I think you get what I'm saying that, you know, some are kind of a little bit more drawn to it, a little bit more drawn to it. And, uh, and, and, uh, and others are not. How many of you say, you know, I, I, it just, it, it, it confuses me. Yeah. And I'm not like, yeah, okay, I see several hands, uh, you know, going up. And, and so I, I get that there's a wide spectrum here. Well, the purpose of prophecy, Warren Wiersbe said, is not to entertain the curious. I mean, people, people get into some weird ideas on prophecy. And start, when you start trying to do Bible codes, like, oh man, did you see that if you, if you take these Hebrew letters and you circle them together and it's almost like in a diagonal, you get the name Shakespeare. <laughs> like God intended that. No, don't believe those phony. <laughs> don't believe her. <laughs> no, I've seen a lady do that. I've seen men do that. It's not just one gender that gets messed up on this. Listen, God didn't give us things in a Bible code. He gave us the Bible. Okay. But prophecy is not to entertain the curious, but to encourage the consecrated. Encourage. You know why people, some, some here this morning might be saying, man, why is everybody getting loud? I thought he was the only one that was supposed to be loud, the preacher. But there's all kinds of people out here saying, amen, and praise the Lord, and getting excited. And, and what's that all about? Well, I'm encouraging the consecrated here, Jesus is. He's encouraging us. And, and what we know is that even though I don't understand how all this fits together, I know he does. And I know he can make it all work out and I know that he will and I can trust him and we win in the end no matter who's winning right now. See, that's encouraging the consecrated. Consecrated would be somebody that's dedicated their life to God and you want to live for God. Well, in light of what we're reading right here, you ought to live for God, friend, because you live for anything else, it's going to burn up someday. All right. Now where are we at? 
Let's jump to verse 15. I was going to do more review, but I think we're ready. Okay, verse 15. Jesus said, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place, he said, flee. Now, he had a couple parenthetical statements there where he said, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. So he's saying, now, if you want to know more about this, then go back to Daniel chapter nine, all right? And so he, then he said this, he said, he said, let him that readeth understand. That means we can't understand. That means we must understand. If we're going to get what he's saying here in Matthew 24, we got to go back and see what he said here in Daniel chapter number nine. Okay. Daniel chapter number nine is the backbone of Bible prophecy. One man said the backbone of Bible prophecy. I'm telling you everything that happened from the command to rebuild Jerusalem, include the temple, but also the gates and so forth from that time period, all the way up till the eternal state is covered in Daniel chapter nine, verses 24 through 27. You want to look at it? All right. Amen. Let's look at it. Daniel chapter nine is the backbone of the Old Testament. Okay, the backbone of the Old Testament, one of the greatest prophecies in the Bible, another man said, the divine program of the ages. All right, so Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, now, this is interesting right here. While you find your place there, I'm going to make a couple more comments. Because if you in person see the abomination of desolation, that means you're in the tribulation. So what that means for us who are in Christ, because we understand from scripture that the next, the next prophetic, the next event on God's prophetic calendar is the rapture because we don't go to, into any part of the tribulation. We believe the Bible teaches. We believe because the Bible teaches. How's that? The Bible teaches a pre-tribulational rapture. Okay. There's so many reasons to believe that. In fact, anything else really doesn't fit scripture. So the, the only position that you can take biblically is a pre-tribulation rapture where we as believers are removed from the earth. It is a time of Jacob's trouble and there will be people saved within the tribulation because many of them become martyrs. At the end of that seven year period, then Jesus comes again to set up his kingdom. So we have this seven year period that is of great interest. But if you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, then what that would indicate, if you actually see when he sets up, when Antichrist revelation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to move pretty quick right here. I wish I could slow down and make sure that everybody is understanding this. And if anybody here has questions, I know that we'd be glad to try to take a little bit more time, but there's, just a, there's a lot to cover if you're going to have lunch. If you don't want to have lunch, then I'll slow down. All right. But Revelation chapter 13 talks about how that Satan himself, we got a holy trinity in Revelation chapter 13, Satan himself empowering the beast that comes from the sea. That would be a reference to the Antichrist. You could go back to Daniel chapter number seven. You can go to Daniel chapter number nine. We're going to see you can go to Daniel chapter 12. You can go to Revelation. And you're going to see the beast, the Antichrist, a world ruler that's going to come in. He's going to make a covenant with Israel. And I'm telling you, Israel is kind of primed for it right now. I'm not saying, I'm not prophesying up here that it's going to happen with even in our time period, within our lifetime. But I'm just simply saying everything looks like it's primed to it. In fact, even as we were flying to Israel, there is a young man across the way and other young ladies that were there. And these are Jews that are going from New York to Jerusalem. And you say, well, that's pretty common. No, listen, there's something going on. There's a movement that's going on. And we went to the Temple Institute even as they're, they're getting ready for some of the, the instruments, the utensils and other things that are already in place and ready for the third temple. And again, I'm not prophesying it's happening in our time period, but I am saying with John, even so come Lord Jesus. And I'm saying with Paul, he could come at any time. His coming is imminent. And so anyways, you've got the beast, the antichrist that's set up part of that old Roman empire that is, that is going to reform and, and, and is coming together there. So you have the beast and then you have the false prophet that points others to the beast that he might receive worship. Well, I read this morning, Isaiah chapter number 14, that Satan wants to receive God's place and he wants to receive worship. Well, in Revelation chapter 13, he's still trying to get worship. And thus he sets up in the midst of the, the temple that is going to be rebuilt. He sets up an image to himself that he might be worshiped. And that, my friend, listen, that is the abomination of desolation. Everybody following this? No church member get left behind here. That's what I'm hoping for. Right? All right. So he sets up 
the Antichrist sets up a peace treaty with Israel and he stays true to that treaty till three and a half years in. Then he breaks that covenant and thus he sets up the, the idol in the temple and that causes the abomination of desolation. That is Jesus' signal. That's what he's saying. That is Jesus' signal that now it's about to begin the period known as the time of Jacob's trouble. The great tribulation that has not been on the earth and never shall be. It's going to happen right there. And when that happens, then you flee. You flee. Okay, now we're going to come back to that thought. But I want you to understand, all of what I just said to you is in four verses in Daniel 9. All of it. It's awesome. It truly is. God didn't have to give us something like that. But you, you ever have like a little sheet you can pull out that's just got, I mean, you got major events that's going on, but you got a little sheet that's just got it all right there. You, you ever have a, a, a big event that you're planning for and you think, man, I need to have this done by here and this done by here and this done by here. I just had a wedding, uh, wedding number, what, 200 this year, something like that, a bunch of weddings this year. And we had another wedding yesterday, got another one coming up in a couple of weeks. And so, I mean, wedding, it's wedding season and, and that's a big event that takes some planning. Well, you have this big event that takes about 30 minutes to an hour, somewhere right in there. And, but you got to start, you know, six months prior and you're sending out invitations here. Got to make sure you get a cake by this time, get uh, colors picked out by this time, songs picked out by this time. Okay, I didn't really intend to do that, but that's how it came out. <laughs> you got to do all of this to get to this. Well, what you look at in Daniel chapter 9 that I'm doing my best to try to get to it is that God has something he's going to complete in Israel, but he's got to have a timeline in which he's getting it all done and he's going to do it. Daniel 9. Are you still with me here? Daniel chapter number 9. Let's look at it here just a, just a, a moment. And the, you'll say, well, okay, wait a minute. Okay. You said, I thought you were going to go to Daniel 9. I, I did too. So um, you say, all right, look, if, if we're not even going to be a part of that, why are you going to preach it now? Well, Jesus preached it then to his disciples and they didn't see it. So there's something, there's a principle there that, that will transcend when trouble comes of any type. That's what we're looking at, okay? That's where we're gonna end up. But please don't zone out on me right now. I don't think anybody is. Everybody's glued in. That's awesome. But, but, but you may say, well, why does this apply? Well, it does, but, but I, I wanna throw this in and then we really will get to Daniel 9. And that would be this. It could very well be, there's gonna be in the tribulation period, somebody... It has the gospel of Matthew and they're reading and they're coming down here and it says, let him that readeth understand. And he can go back to Daniel nine and see what's going on. Because in Daniel chapter nine, if you look at it, uh, which by the way, you glad to have a Bible? Are you glad to open up that Bible? Are you, are you embarrassed to open up that Bible? No, just go ahead and open it up. Open it up at work. Open it up at school. Open it up in the airport. I had a man stop me yesterday because he was a man that was from uh, Botswana and he, he was on the airplane. But before that, I mean, it was early, crazy early in the morning. It was like, I don't know, I'm not whining. I'm just simply saying it was like five o'clock in the morning. I had my Bible open in the little area there in Valdosta and, and I was just reading and I'm not sure if I understood everything that I read at that time of the day. And that's not real early. But anyways, it was, it was early enough. My brain was fried from the week and I was just trying to read. And, and he, as we we're getting off the plane, we're walking out. He said, I pray that if God wanted me to talk to you, that we'd walk out together. And we did man from Botswana. And, and so listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of opening up this Bible. This Bible will show you what's going on in your life. It'll show you what's going on in this world. And that's exactly what Daniel did. In Daniel chapter number nine, it says in verse number one, no, don't, get, don't get afraid. We're not going to cover all this too. You're thinking, man, lunch is out the window right now. In the first year of Darius, the son of Hazarias of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of years whereof the word of the Lord came to who? Jeremiah the prophet that he that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. I set my face in the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth and ashes. I prayed unto the Lord God, my the Lord, my God and made my confession and said, oh, Lord, the great and dreadful God keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned. 
and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, neither have we hearkened unto thy, thy servants, the prophets. Hey, you know what he's doing? Things were changing in his world right then. A new man had come into, into, into the realm. A new power was there. Things were changing. Would you agree with this this morning? Things are changing in the beloved United States of America. Things are going on. You know what we need to do? Get the Bible back out. Blow off the dust. Sit down and get some coffee to help you stay awake so you can read and see what's really going on. Don't just pick up the newspaper to see what's going on. Don't scroll through, don't scroll through Fox News to see what's going on. Open up your Bible to see what's going on. And when Daniel did that, he saw that, okay, it's 70 years that we're going to be here. They've been there about 68 by that time. He says, we're going to go home soon. And then he began to pray, oh God, we're sinful. Well, I believe we can follow this pattern right here. Well, watch, watch what happens right here. In answer to Daniel in a time of trouble, when he opened up the Bible and he set himself to pray, then God showed him, God showed him what's going to happen for the rest of all time, not just the immediate time. Right. <laughs> how about that? Brother David said, how about that? How about that? All right, now that brings us to verse number 24. Verse number 24, well, 20 through 23 really cover, as he was speaking, how he got this message from the man Gabriel, the angel, he brought him the message. Now, when you read your Bible, Gabriel's not gonna show up. Okay, just being abundantly clear here. But the Holy Spirit of God will help you understand these things. Preaching this week and one young lady came up and gave testimony. And she said, you know, while he was preaching, I got to feeling bad about what I'd been doing and how I'd been living. I forget exactly how she said that. And, and she, but she said this, she said, but, and my youth worker said that that's called conviction. She said, I didn't know what the word conviction meant, but I was feeling it. I felt bad. And she got saved this week. And she gave her first testimony the very first week she was saved. Wonderful. <laughs> the gospel still works for <laughs> you. Open up your Bible, you'll read, and you'll see things. And some things you won't understand. Come on. I mean, that's join the club. Right? I mean, we're all in that boat. Even Peter said, Paul wrote some things hard to understand. All right, now look, if Peter said, This is tough, I'm tapping out earlier than he did. <laughs> right? Okay, now look at verse number 24. Okay, 70 weeks. 70 weeks are determined upon who? Thy people, Israel, right? 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. What's the holy city? Jerusalem, Jerusalem. To finish, here's, here's the objectives. Here's what God is going to do with whatever the 70 weeks is. Well, 70 weeks is a period of time. So are we talking about 70 weeks, like literal seven days? Or are we talking about seven months? Are we talking about seven units of seven? What, what are we talking about here? Okay, this is, that is the key to this passage, all right? So 70 weeks are determined upon thy people, and here's what he's gonna do. Finish the transgression. In other words, he's gonna deal with sin. He's gonna bring them to the end of their rebellion. Is Israel at the end of their rebellion? Is, are they at the end? Have they stopped sinning against God? Has the world stopped sinning against God? Certainly not. So whatever the 70 weeks is, it's not done yet. Because the transgression is not finished. They're still transgressing against God. Is this making sense? I'm taking a little bit of time here because there is a position known as the preterite position, which means this, that in AD 70, everything was finished. And the abomination of desolation took place when Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. Well, if Titus in AD 70, no, hang on, let me, let me tie back in to Matthew 24 because the disciples asked Jesus, when will the temple be destroyed? What is the sign of your coming? And when will the end of time come? Well, some say that what happened in AD 70 when Rome came in and destroyed the temple, that the abomination of desolation happened right then. And people did flee. We went to Masada. You ever heard of Masada? Masada is where the Jews fled 
there during that time and they, they were hiding out for three years until the Romans came and the Romans were going to obliterate them. They set up camp for about four months. The encampments are still there, but all those Jews up there on Masada's fortress built by King Herod, they killed themselves and they killed one another so the Romans wouldn't abuse them. The IDF, the Israel Defense Force, to this day takes their, their cadets, their young men and young women, they swear in there at Masada. This, at least the special forces do, to, to say basically this. This is, a, this is a term in Israel, never again. Never again. This will never happen again. Well, let alone, they, they may be saying never again, but according to the tribulation, it's going to happen again. And sadly, it has happened again. And in the days of the Holocaust, it happened again. And, and so Israel may try to be strong without God, but they can't be strong without God. Is this making any sense? I'm still going somewhere with it. And I appreciate that you're still with me on the journey. It'd be a lonely morning preaching if I was all by myself. So thank you for coming the journey. But I'm just simply saying, if 70 weeks applied to 70 literal weeks, then that would already be done. And we're in the kingdom. If there is a kingdom. Well, Jesus said there's a kingdom and the disciples believe there's a kingdom because they asked him in Acts chapter number one, what's the sign of thy kingdom? They believe in an electoral kingdom. Amen. That's very important because there are so-called theologians that say, no, there's just a spiritual kingdom and those that are saved are a part of it. Well, there is the kingdom of God and we are to seek first the kingdom of God. I totally get that. But don't you take away from the fact that he will literally come and touch down at Mount of Olives and literally set up his thousand year reign in a literal kingdom, he's coming again. Literally, bodily, this same Jesus will in like fashion come again. Hey, there's coming a kingdom. There's coming a kingdom. Let the world know there's coming a kingdom. You need to know there's coming a kingdom and it won't just be him ruling on our hearts. He'll be ruling on the earth. But if, if what Jesus said at the abomination of desolation was fulfilled in the days of Titus in AD 70, then that would mean that the tribulations already take place and that the worst has already happened. But AD 70, as bad as it was, listen, that doesn't even compare with the 6 million Jews that died in the Holocaust. So if Jesus said that there won't be anything like this ever again, then listen, evidently what happened in 1870, that didn't really fit. And even what happened in 1940 uh, up to 1945 and so forth, that doesn't even fit. There's coming a time when it's going to fit, friend. So it's not 70 weeks and it's not 70 months. It's 70 sets of seven. You remember when, um, you remember when uh, Jacob wanted to marry uh, Rachel because she was pretty? Back in uh, Genesis chapter number uh, yeah, 28, 26, 27, somewhere right in there. It's in your Bible. <laughs> he said, I'll work for you for a week. I'll work for you for a week. Well, he did not work just one week and got married. Oh no, she was going to cost more than that. How long did he work for her? Seven years. And then another seven years, exactly right, that because he got duped, he got tricked, just like he was the trickster. He woke up the next morning and removed the veil and it was not Rachel, it was Leah. And he said something in Hebrew that sounded like this. Ah! <laughs> and so he worked another week for her. So a total of 14 years. All right, so there's biblical precedent that a, a unit of 70, 70 weeks, a week can equal seven years. Well, all you got to do is go to the book of Revelation and then kind of work backwards that there's still one week. I said, there's still one week that's remaining. One week of seven years. That's the, the tribulation period. That one week of seven years. Watch, oh my soul, this is amazing. Anybody bored? Okay, good. All right, look, look what Jesus said. 70 weeks are determined. In other words, you can't stop it. It's going to happen. 70 weeks are determined to do this, to finish the transgression. I'll keep going now. To finish the transgression, make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity. In other words, there'd be a way to be forgiven of your sin. There'd be a way to be saved. <laughs> now that has been done. To, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. So some of those things have been accomplished. Some of them are still yet to be. He says in verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince. Is that capital in your Bible? Prince, that's referring to Jesus. So from 445 uh, BC there, uh, at the time when Nehemiah was, uh, look at it, let me just keep reading it, it'll say it instead of me saying it. Ah, okay, 
I'm not screaming because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just finding it. Verse 25, even in troublous times, that's what he's talking about with Nehemiah. He's saying, listen, from that time until Jesus comes, if you allow me to just apply what's being said here, then it's going to be a total of, of the 62 weeks plus the seven weeks. I'm sorry, wait a minute. I'm getting that wrong. At the end of the 62 weeks, let me, let me slow down. I'm trying to get you to lunch and I need to slow down because you need to understand the 70 weeks. How are we doing? Okay. Slow down, catch your breath. I'm talking to myself. Okay, look. All right, well, <laughs> let me just read the Bible. Okay, from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks. Okay, so it's going to take about 49 years to build Jerusalem. That's about, and the temple and all those things. And if you look at it, it's chronologically just exactly that way. The street shall be built again. And the wall, there's the wall under the time of Nehemiah, even in troublous times. And after three score and two weeks. So from that period when Jerusalem is built for three score and two weeks, there are the 483 years from that time, from, from the point when Jerusalem is finished until Messiah will be cutting off, cut off, will be that total amount of time. I'm telling you, some have calculated this, that it comes down to the very time in which Jesus entered Jerusalem at the triumphal entry. I'm standing in awe of him right now that he knew how long it would take to build Jerusalem. And from that point to when Jesus is cut off, oh, look at this next phrase. You're about to get blessed here again. Look at it. It says, Messiah should be cut off, but not for himself. You know what that means? He's cut off for you. He's cut off for me. In other words, he's crucified for you and for me. He's cut off, but not for himself. He died for your sin. He died for my sins. All right, so then we keep reading. And the people, oh, slow down and read this right here very, very carefully. And the people of the prince, lowercase prince, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. There's two princes mentioned here. One is Jesus, the other is the Antichrist. Okay, so this second prince that is mentioned here, and notice that it does not say, it does not say, and it's very, very clear that it's not the, that prince, lowercase prince, the Antichrist that destroys the temple. It's the people of the prince. That means it would be the Roman people who destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. It was the Roman people. So it's the people of the prince that shall come, that shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with the flood and to the end of, the, of the, the war of desolations are determined. And he, okay, now it goes back to the middle part of verse number 26 when he's talking about the Antichrist. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for how long? One week. For one week, in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it what? Desolate. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 24. The abomination of desolation happens at the time of the Antichrist in the midway point of the tribulation. So what does that mean? That means that 69 weeks have already been fulfilled and there's still one week that needs to be fulfilled. That means that there is a gap. Well, that's no surprise because you read, when you read prophecy in Isaiah and other times, there's oftentimes a gap between the fulfillments. Peter dealt with that in Acts chapter number two. So here it is, there's a gap of time between the 69th week because the seven plus 62. You got to do math, read the Bible. Come on now, everybody still with me? Did anybody go to lunch? Everybody still here? 62 uh, plus the seven, 69. 79, 69 weeks have been done, one week remaining. When you sit down and you look in the New Testament and you look at this passage and you put it all together, that means this, there's a mystery that the Jews didn't understand and it's revealed in the New Testament. It's called that, we refer to it as the church age. We don't understand, we, we, un, we understand that there's not a universal church. There's churches that Jesus started, but it's this time of church planting. It's this time of getting the gospel out. It's a time of helping people understand that you're a sinner and there's only one way to be saved and that's through Jesus Christ. Listen, God, God is still so merciful that he's given you an opportunity to be saved before that 70th week starts. When, did that, when does that 70th week start? When Jesus comes in the rapture, that begins that three and a half year of peace. But then it's broken in the middle when Antichrist sets up the image in the temple and the abomination of desolation happens. And then it's the three and a half years that's never been like that before, dear friend. 
a time of Jacob's trouble that will, that will affect people all over the world and the global, the global terror and pain and wrath of God that is unleashed on this earth. And they make war against the lamb, but he comes in power and great glory at, his, at the end of that seven-year period and he, every eye will seize him and the, there's lightning that goes from the east to the west. And they see him, him, rather, who they crucified. That's what Jesus said to understand. And he's saying right there, when you see that happen, then you run. Flee. Go to the mountains, pray it's not during the Sabbath, pray it's not in the winter, pray, pray this. It's going to be difficult for many people. He's just simply saying it's going to be really hard. And then he said this, and I, believe it or not, I'm just about done. I just saw the runway. We're going to make one circle and then we're going to land. He said this, when that time goes on, then you're going to hear, you know what, you know, a thought just came to me. It could be that somebody in the tribulation period is going to be so desperate that maybe they're going to go online. I'm, I'm just totally speculating here. They may hear a message. They may hear this very message. And, and listen, if, if those that are there in that tribulation period, then what they need to know, they can be saved through Jesus Christ. And that's the only way they can be saved then. And, and they can understand that, listen, there's only one source of hope here. And what Jesus says, listen, you understand this. When they say Messiah is over here in the desert, or Messiah is in this secret chamber. He's got this secret knowledge. No, listen, you'll know when Messiah shows up. He comes in power and great glory. Amen. So don't run here and don't run there. Go to him. Amen. And here's the truth we're supposed to get out of this. When trouble comes, don't go to the wrong sources. When trouble comes, you go to the Lord. Amen. You say, okay. Okay. How do I do that? Well, what did Daniel do in a troublesome time? He opened up his Bible. He sat down and he began to read. He got on his knees and I believe he began to pray. And he asked God what to do. And God did things. God showed him things. God, he trusted God to do things that he knew he could not do. I wonder if that'd be a pattern for us to follow. I wonder if that'd be a pattern to follow when you have trouble. You say, okay, you, you've... you've you have said a lot in 40 minutes. Um, would you believe there's a lot more I had to say? You've said a lot and I still don't know exactly what you're saying because I'll tell you the truth. I'm troubled at night because I can't sleep because I'm concerned about what's going to happen to me when I die. Here's what do. Open up the Bible. Let somebody show you you pray and trust Jesus as your Savior, He'll do what you can't do, namely this, He'll save your soul. You could never save your soul, but He can save your soul and you can have peace at night and go to sleep knowing you're on your way to heaven. And you may be feeling bad about what you've been doing. That's called conviction. That's what they told that young lady and they were right about it. And that you've got conviction going on in your heart and the Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God saying, listen, He's telling you the truth right here and a bad day is coming, not just the wrath that's on the earth, but all of eternity, the wrath of God unleashed on those that don't, that don't believe. And you need to believe and trust him today. You say, okay, preacher, look, I am saved, but I'm having trouble in my marriage. Trouble will come. Trouble will come. I watched this fine couple yesterday. They were so happy, but I know there's days that she's not going to be happy because I know him. <laughs> There'd be some days when he's not happy because, you know, she seems sweet, but I know her. She's a sinner too. What do you do when trouble comes in your marriage? Open up the Bible, pray, trust God to do what you can't do. Same pattern. I'm upside down in my finances. My financial situation is very, very bad. Okay, what, what should you do? Has trouble come to your finances? Yes, yes, forevermore. And I'm losing hours at work and they're giving me promotions to everybody. They're passing out like it's candy and, and it's Christmas, but they're forgetting me and I'm not getting a promotion. I'm not making any money. I'm in a bad spot. I'm in a tight spot. Preacher, I'm so concerned about this. What do you do? Well, listen, here's what not do. Don't turn to the bottle. That'll cost you more money. Don't, don't, don't go to the CBD store. That'll cost you money. That'll cost you a lot of heartache too. Don't turn to a bunch of relationships. That's going to cost you. That's going to hurt you. Here's what you do. You turn to God. Open up the Bible. Begin to pray. Trust God to do what you can't do. And he'll tell you to do this. Give 10% of your income. You say, preacher, you didn't understand me. I've got more money coming out than I've got coming in. Yes, make more go out. Give 10%. Amen. 
You hear all those people saying, that's right. Those are believers who give. Those are believers who tithe, who have learned this. You can't outgive God. And when you have financial trouble, you get in the Word and you do what God says and you pray and you confess your sin. You tell Him how much you've been wasting on Netflix. You tell Him how much you've been wasting on your credit card. You tell Him how much you've been blowing through and spending money that you don't have. And you get things right with God and you get back with God. And I'm telling you, God will take care of you. What else? What other problems? I don't mean that flippantly. I'm just simply saying it does not matter what trouble you're having. If you'll get in the word, he'll show you. I talked to some, some young men that are having a hard time with pornography and fornication and such. Well, what you do is get in the word and see what God says. Then you pray and you trust God to do what you can't do. It works for everything. It works. When trouble comes, turn to the Lord. It really is that simple. And you trust him to do what you can't do. I, I'll close with this young man, um, just a kid back in the day when the, they were traveling by train quite a bit more and he was on that train, a powerful storm came, powerful. Everybody's frantic. This little boy was asleep. <laughs> this powerful storm. Well, that's not too surprising. I've seen some teenagers for sure that can sleep through all kinds of stuff. Sleep. They woke him up. Young man, aren't you afraid? The storm that's going on? He said, I'm not afraid. My dad's the engineer. Everything's going to be all right. Hey, listen, our Heavenly Father is engineering all of this. We don't have to be afraid. We can just trust Him. Let's stand together here this morning. I acknowledge, I know we've covered a lot in a short amount of time. Maybe mention some things that you didn't quite grasp. I understand that it's not my intention to confuse or to speak over anybody's head. That is not it at all. I'm just trying to say what Jesus said here. And he said, understand this. So we're trying to be obedient to Him. But I think you can understand this. He's holy and you're not. I believe you can understand this. He died in your place. And I believe you can understand this. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Believer, I, I realize there's things you don't understand, things I don't understand. But I believe we can understand this. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways, what? Acknowledge Him and He shall bring it to pass. I just trust Him. Father, I imagine there's some believers here this morning that are facing a time of trouble of some sort. From our perspective and our experience of life, things such as the tribulation period and end time events can seem so far removed from us that they don't seem to apply certainly they do I pray for those that aren't saved today they're not ready for eternity please help them today to trust you I pray for believers that have had trouble come to their life maybe some of their own making others like I heard about this morning things beyond their control would you help us in those times not to turn anywhere but to you no doubt you'll use others, you'll use people, you'll use other means to help us. But God, we got to turn to you. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.